Blog Talk Radio. Christians Unleashed here on True Life Radio and Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, the visible one himself, Thomas Dwayne Smith. I've been on a time hiatus from doing the show, but I'm coming back with a vengeance. And first, before I get started, I want to give a shout out to my listeners, those of you who are slowly trickling back. And then I want to give a shout-out to 
a special couple in Canada, Scott and Laurie Marks Vincent, Scott B. Vincent and Laurie Marks Vincent. Um, They're listening in on Blog Talk Radio's platform. So, as you know, how I always used to keep it real, two things that we go by on this show. Number one, we're not politically correct. We're just correct politically. And we always come down on the right side of the issues. Number two, politics does not define my faith in Jesus Christ. My faith in Jesus Christ defines my politics. And having said that, let's get right into the headlines. We got my guest coming on at 7 o'clock today, tonight. So first and foremost, um, our hearts and prayers goes out to the families who were touched by the tornadoes in the Midwest, um, 17 killed, scores injured. Um, That was probably the reason why my heart was heavy yesterday because I had a sense that something was going to happen. And sure enough, um, one of my friends who lives in Baxter Springs, Kansas, which incidentally was basically destroyed by the tornado, um, She's okay. Her kids are okay. The tornado just missed their house. Just missed their house. And so that's why my heart was heavy, but I also was having issues, you know, chest issues in my heart as well. So there you have it. So that's why my heart was heavy because I had a sense that something was going to happen and when and then all my emotions come come flooding back. So let's look at let's look at um some of the headlines today. I'm on foxnews.com. I really can't stand all the other news outlets. So Hmm, this is interesting. An Oklahoma lawmaker is trying to impeach state Supreme Court justices who delayed the execution of two death row inmates saying their decision shows incompetence and personal biases while violating their oath of office. The high court has now lifted the delay, so inmates Clayton Lockett and Charles Warner are scheduled to die by Tuesday by lethal injection. However, Republican State Rep Mike Christian, who drafted legislation to impeach the five justices who last week granted the stay, still thinks their decision constitutes a willful neglect of duty and incompetence. Christian told FoxNews.com on Monday 
he has filed articles of impeachment, and he intends to discuss with fellow members of the House leadership team how to proceed. Lots of lawmakers are risk-adverse, but I need to do what's right, he said. Voters didn't send me to the state capitol to set on my hands. In a 5-4 decision, the justice delayed the execution at the request of Lockett and Warner, who filed a civil suit seeking to know the source of the chemicals that would be used in the injection. The court ruled a day later that the inmates were not entitled to know the source. Still, the court system should not be used to delay an execution when the basis of the appellant's case is unsupportable arguments related to the availability of such chemicals, Christian argued. Moreover, the high court overstepped Moreover, the high court overstepped its let's see, overstepped its legal authority because under the state constitution, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals handles only criminal matters, while the Supreme Court handles only civil matters, critics said. This is a case of our state's judges inserting their personal biases and political opinions into the equation said Christian, a former Oklahoma State trooper. Still, the civil suit puts the state's two highest courts in a difficult situation, considering the Oklahoma Constitution says only the Supreme Court handles civil cases. In fact, the four dissenting justices acknowledged such a dilemma. The appellants have maneuvered the court right where they set out to put us. And that is, for the first time in this court's relevant history, in the middle of a death penalty appeal, they wrote in their opinion, we have never been here before. The Attorney General's office has said it has given the inmates all the information that's legally required. And the appeals court, late into last week, denied their request to find that the high court ruled in error. Lockett, 38, was convicted of shooting a 19-year-old female with a sawed-off shotgun and then watching as two accomplices buried her alive in 1999. Warner, 46, was convicted, was found guilty of raping and killing his roommate's 11-month-old child in 1997. Governor Mary Fallon, a Republican, halted Lockett's execution to ensure he wouldn't be put to death before his day in court. But she also complained that the high court strayed from the constitutional mandate on handling only civil matters when it issued its own order stopping execution over the drug question. She now says the final ruling shows our legal system works, and that's the state's first double execution in nearly 80 years will indeed take place. The defendants had their day in court. The court has made a decision. Two men that do not contest their guilt in heinous murders will now face justice, and the families and friends of their victims will now have closure. 
However, Fallon did not respond to an inquiry Monday about whether she will support impeachment proceedings, which Christian said hasn't happened in Oklahoma in about 47 years. Defense attorney Seth Day said the basis for the civil suit is the public has no way of knowing whether the execution will be carried out in a constitutional and humane manner unless it knows the source of the chemicals. They could not be reached Monday to learn whether he will try to file any other appeal. All righty then. Let, let, oh. a minute. And I'm going to address the message. Civil suit. Make sure he's the civil suit is the has no way of knowing whether the execution will be carried out in a constitutional and humane manner unless it knows the source of the chemicals. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's talk about Lockett for a minute. He was convicted of shooting a 19-year-old female with a sawed-off shotgun, then watching as two accomplices buried her alive. Warner was found guilty of raping and killing his Roommate's 11-month-old child. Okay, let's stop and ask ourselves this question. What was so huge about what they did to those individuals? How is it that suddenly the man that they get treated human that Lockett shot a knockout and then watched the trend. I he raped and killed. Now, give you a perspective on things. Whoever shed the blood of man, by the hands of man shall his blood also be shed. The Bible makes a very compelling case for capital punishment. Yeah, it says, thou shalt not kill. But that word kill, translated in the Hebrew, means thou shalt not murder. And those who say, well, when we execute a person for executing another person, that's murder. Uh, no, not according 
not according to the word of God. That's justice. Many people, and it's funny because it's always the liberals who take the side of the uh, take the side of the criminals, <laughs> but they were nowhere to be found when the families of these two individuals were slaughtered. Well, when these individuals were slaughtered and the families were grieving. Liberals were nowhere to be found. They were too busy chaining themselves to trees and protesting planting crops because it might hurt a microscopic lizard. Folks, what are we coming to? Are we coming to? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we coming to? Moving on to the next headline. Let's see. Let's see. So, Ron Emanuel. Huh. Well, no. Let's try this. Oh, this is interesting. Wow. A firestorm broke out among congressional Republicans Monday over Secretary of State John Kerry reportedly saying Israel could could become an apartheid state with the number two House leader saying he should apologize and a senator calling on him to resign. Reports that Senator Kerry has suggested Israel is becoming an apartheid state is extremely disappointing, House Majority Leader Eric Cantor, who is Jewish, said in a statement. The use of the word apartheid has re- routinely been dismissed as both offensive and inaccurate, and Secretary Kerry's use of it makes peace even harder to achieve. The Virginia congressman also urged Kerry to apologize to the Israeli government and people. Last Monday, Senator Barbara Boxer added a bipartisan note to the criticism, tweeting, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East, and any linkage between Israel and apartheid is nonsensical and ridiculous. At the same time, Senator Mark Begich, Democrat Alaska, issued a statement saying, I am disappointed with Secretary Kerry's reported remarks. He knows as well as anyone that negotiating lasting peace in this region of the world is difficult, but it's not productive to express his frustration in this way. The backlash follows a Daily Beast report claiming Kerry made the statement during a closed-door meeting Friday with influential world leaders. He reportedly warned that if Israel doesn't make the country could become an apartheid state. 
hours after Cantor's call for an apology, Texas GOP Senator Ted Cruz called for Kerry's resignation on the senator Senate floor. Mr. President, it is my belief that Secretary Kerry has thus proven himself unsuitable for his position and that before any further harm is done to our alliance with Israel, he should offer President Obama his resignation, Cruz said, and the president should accept it. Kerry reportedly made the comparison after peace talks hit a wall last week as Fatah announced a unity agreement with Hamas. Israel, which like the U.S. considered Hamas a terror group, suspended peace talks after that announcement, although Kerry continued to voice hope that both sides could return to the negotiating table. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, a a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee also slammed Kerry over the reported remarks made ahead of Holocaust Remembrance Day. Those comments are outrageous and disappointing, he said in a statement. Incendiary name-calling does not change the fundamental fact that Israel does not currently have a viable partner for peace. I urge Secretary Kerry and the administration to focus on pressing challenges in the Middle East, such as ending the humanitarian catastrophe in Syria and preventing Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon instead of pressuring Israel to make additional concessions. Partners who have never, who have now chosen to align themselves with a terror group. The State Department is not denying that Kerry made the remarks. Spokeswoman Jen Psaki asked about them on Monday's brief and said she would not confirm comments made during a private meeting. While not confirming whether Kerry warned that Israel could become an apartheid state, she said, the secretary does not believe and did not state publicly or privately that Israel is an apartheid state. And there is an important difference there. Israel is obviously a vibrant democracy with equal rights for all of its citizens. She said, reiterating that Kerry believes a two-state solution is the only way to have two nations and two people living side by side in peace and security. Okay. Interesting. But we've all we've all known that John Kerry has always been an idiot. So what else is new? But you know <laughs> he always open opens his mouth and inserts his foot and what else can you say? But but let me make sure I understand this right. He's calling Israel an apartheid state. Oh, could it be because he does not think that Israel has the right to exist? Or could it be 
that Mr. Carey harbors secret feelings of anti-Semitic feelings. Could be. John Kerry is like a lot of Democrats. They smile in your face and they make racist comments behind your back. And when they and when they get caught, the people that they're making the racist comments about are too stupid to realize that they just got insulted because they keep voting for the same people that make the racist comments. We're going to address the topic of racism a little bit later when my guest comes on in about four minutes. Everybody is so quick, though, to play the race card. Folks, you don't have a clue where the term even originated. It was afraid. It was a phrase coined by a communist that he gave to people who opposed communistic views. It never had anything to do with one's race, but just like we twist everything else. Just like we twist everything else. Just like we twist everything else. It's like I always say, right is right, wrong is wrong. And quite frankly, I am sick and tired people always playing the race card. People who really don't have a clue what real racism looks like. And I'll tell you point blank. I had three family members killed because of the color of their skin. I know what racism is. Tell you something else. I'm going to destroy that stupid, idiotic myth that was put out by liberals, Democrats, that if you're black, you can't be racist because uh, you don't have any power. That is a bunch of bull straight from the pits of hell. Because some of the most racist people that I know are black. And that's their business, but they just better keep the garbage away from me because I'm not. I don't deal with racism from anybody. You know, I have a relative in my family, and I'll, you know, keep their identity undisclosed for, you know, privacy's sake. 
they would make racist comments about white people all the time. And I'd look at them and I'd say, how can you say what you're saying? Your husband is white. Folks, you have to understand one thing. This is what you have to understand. First John chapter 4, verse 21 says, How can you say you love God who you have not seen and you hate your brother who you see each and every day? Some food for thought. You are listening to the visible conservative Christians unleashed here on True Life Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And now, we're going to listen to an idiot address the issue of abortion. He's a liberal. Be back in three minutes with our guest. This week brought us the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It made me reflect on a moment from about 15 years ago when I was in a committed relationship with a woman who I knew was just not the one. She also knew it probably wasn't going to work out. And then she got pregnant. And I was terrified. I've always known the importance of family and building kids into strong adults. And I know I would not be who I am if not for growing up under the watchful eye of two people who loved me and loved each other. I knew that pregnant woman and I were not going to be able to form a lasting family. She decided it was best to have an abortion, and days later she did. We did. And in some ways, that choice saved my life. I was not then smart enough or man enough to build a family or raise a child, and I only would have contributed to making a mess of three lives. Years after that, I met another woman, married her, and after we decided to get pregnant, I went to her doctor's appointments, our doctor's appointments, with joy. It was a thrill to watch that boy grow inside her. But I must admit, during that second trimester, as we watched him move around on 3D sonograms, I saw how human they are at that stage, and my lifelong belief in abortion rights was, let's say, jostled. It was life colliding with belief system. I had to rethink my position. But in the end, I remained committed to being pro-choice because I cannot imagine arguing against a woman's right to control her body and thus her life. I believe in, as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote, a woman's autonomy to determine her life's course. Yes, there is a reasonable and unsolvable medical debate about when exactly life begins, but I find something undeniably misogynist about the impulse to deny a woman's dominion over her own body and limit her ability to shape her life and impose another sense of morality on her. Family building is at the heart of nation building, and taking away the ability to choose means the ability to build lasting families is challenged. Richard Florida finds the higher a state's abortions rate, the lower its divorce rate. But even though abortion is legal, ever since Roe was passed, the right has been working not just to overturn it, but also to constrain it. Today was the 40th annual March for Life in D.C. In 87% of counties, there are no abortion providers, and in several states, it's nearly impossible to get an abortion. In over the past two years, 130 laws have been enacted restricting abortion rights and curbing the number of abortion providers. I want abortion to be legal, 
safe and rare. But restricting access makes it rare for the wrong reason and drives many women to self-administered abortions that endanger their lives and their reproductive future. In a nation where 40% of children are born to unwed mothers, we are hurting our nation by making family planning harder. I thank God and country that when I fell into a bad situation, abortion was there to save me and keep me on a path toward building the strong family I have now. And I pray that safety net remains in place. People who have children when they're prepared leads to stronger children, stronger families, and thus stronger adults, and a stronger America. Oh, wow. Welcome conservative Christians unleashed here on blog the visible one himself people things in life and Torrey I think his curls might be a little bit too tight because either that or he smoked a lot of LSD or something in his childhood. He did something because that was the stupidest comment that I've ever heard someone make. It ranks up there with some of the stupidest comments. But my next, maybe my next guest will have that comment on the stupidest things of the day or something. Anyway, I hear an echo. I don't hear an echo. It's probably Blog Talk Radio. But, so, now it's on like Donkey Kong. You know this next guest as one of three hosts of True Life Friday's radio. He is the brain behind the show. He's the good looks behind the show. You know, her and, her and Melissa. But today we decided that we're going to step away from the one life issue, and we're going to talk about the whole other life issue. And for those of you who are listening in the chat room, and those of you who are listening in on Facebook or wherever, this show isn't called The Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed for nothing. The stances that we take on this show, we're not opposed to different opinions, but one thing you can be assured about, right is right, wrong is wrong. So please join me. Welcoming one of the three awesome hosts of True Life Fridays Radio, and this one has an extensive resume that is to uh, to she's a she's a national speaker. Um, she's in Christian apologetics. She's just one phenomenally awesome woman, Miss Le- Mrs. Letitia Wong. Welcome to. The Visible Conservative Show here radio. Great to be here, Thomas. I'm glad to have you. Letitia, let's let's not even um dispense with small talk. Let's just jump right into it. You know, Facebook right. has been full Facebook has been full of uh Christian conservatives 
black conservatives, white conservatives, everybody getting in an uproar over what the alleged racist comments that Cleveland Bundy made. Now, you and I both, we've listened to the... um, listened to the tapes in their entirety. And I don't know if you did the same thing I did, but when I saw it was a New York Times article, I originally said, I'm not even I'm not even going to waste my time listening to the tapes because I said he was taken out of context. And lo and behold, I listened to the original whole tapes, and I was right. All right, Thomas, I'm moving the audio on you a little bit. But what uh, you're you're asking me what I thought I think about the Clive and Bundy uh, allegedly racist comments? Yep. Well, I you know I, I all I followed so far to start off, let me make it very clear. I did not follow the Clive and Bundy ranch, 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 land, cattle tax uh, issue very much for one reason, because I didn't think there was the whole story being told at, at from the outset. Something about it just said, okay, this is too big to be a simple issue of overreach of the Bureau of Land Management, overreach of the federal government, and a defiant uh, conservative type of man who just wants to be left alone or just wants to, you know, it it seemed a little too simplistic at first from either side. So, you know, news, as the news came out, we discovered that it is indeed a more complex situation than was presented to us. And then enter in Cliven Bunny's little speech where he makes racial comments, and I don't mean racial as in racist. I mean he makes reference to people's racial background and calling people, you know, categorizing, talking about people simply on the basis of their race, which is what anybody does all day long. I mean, do we need to play the clip of, of Al Sharpton? <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, So I think that... This has been used and abused for the advantage of the left. And the reason I say this is that when you go and you listen to an older man speak, now watch me become real racist here, an older white man speak about his experiences, you're going to hear about it in the language of an older white man. So he says things like Mexican people, colored people, Negroes, um, and he at one point refers to the Latinos, Spanish people. And I think he right. meant Spanish-speaking people. And we have to understand that within the context of who he is, what he is, and what he's trying to say. And so far, I mean, you decided to skip the whole context. We're going to go catch up back that, catch that up. But um, I'll just give you the conclusion first, which is that he was simply trying to communicate something very non-racist, which means we need to give everybody a chance at life and give, him, give them the same type of advantages that 
most of middle America has, certainly that he's been uh, privileged to receive. And welcome people into the country that are already here. He's talking about amnesty, something that by far those on the left it says is a totally non-racist thing to say. So now we're going to back this up and actually deal with what he says. First of all, the New York Times came out and said, oh, we're going to take this little snippet that says um, these black children and elderly folks hanging out um, on a porch are aborting their children and they are getting incarcerated because none of them learned how to pick cotton. Well, of course that sounds racist when you end this clip right there. So why did they do this? Of course we know what the New York Times motives are. It was kind of like a little bit of somebody threw them a piece of candy and they took it. <laughs> and they they decided to run a, a make him as racist sounding as they could. But what is the entire context? He first talked about how he he observed when he was a young man, he observed the wasp riots. Now talk about first person present tense. He is a person that was there. And he said of that, and I don't know if you have the clip, but he said he really understood why black men and women were unhappy at that point in time in the 1970s. And he did not want, he explicitly said he did not want people, our country, uh, to go back to that time when black people did, had less freedom, had less in terms of opportunity, and were treated unfairly. Now, I'm interpreting what he said, but he, bas- he did say explicitly that they were justifiably unhappy with their situation. Now, this, is, this came, the Watch Riots came right on the heels of the Civil Rights Movement. It was this winding down as a, as a movement. And he says, we do not want to go back to the time before this took place. Right, exactly. Then he talked about, since then, what has happened to the black community is that government stepped in and decided to, air quotes, help her, and ended up doing the opposite. And what do we say most of all of the left here on this show and in our, on our True Life Fridays radio show, what liberal intentions uh, are, are different than what they actually become. It's like a permanent opposite day. What is stated and what becomes reality are complete and total opposites. So government assistance in creating a massive welfare state, starting with you know, LG, LBJ's Great Society, ended up mentally as well as physically making whole generations of those in the black community dependent on government. And here is the comparison he was trying to make. He was saying that in the era of slavery, blacks had been given enough to eat, enough to live, enough to survive. 
and they were subjugated right. in return. They were beaten and tortured. And, and this was kind of uh, the part that tripped people up because blacks were given a subsistence. And in government subsidized living or in the welfare state, most people, most poor black families are also living in a subsistence, on a subsistence level. Right. right. And he's saying, what is the real difference between 200 years ago and today? And he says, he doesn't say, if you're very careful to listen to his words, he doesn't say, I think blacks were better off as slaves. He says, I wonder if they weren't better off picking cotton because at least they had their family, uh, their, their respect for family there, respect for each other, and they had skills. And in, right, right. compared to today, they do not have either of those things. They are slaves today, is what he's saying. They are slaves today, and they don't have what they used to have. And now right. the right, now many on the right went and, and because of the New York Times way they spun this, created such a stink that the, those that would call themselves pragmatists in the party, in, among conservatives, say, okay, we need to cut him off completely because he can no longer speak uh, and be a notable person in public because his, his statements have been so inflammatory and so used by the left that there is no recovering from this. He's branded a racist. We're just going to give up on him. I think he's a racist. All this stuff. You know, a lot of the people on the right said, oh, yeah, that's right. He's a racist. Let's move on. Let's dump him as fast as we can, find the bus, run him over it, and let's, you know, keep trucking on. Well, I say this is the strategy that has brought us every pathetic candidate since Bob Dole in 1996. Right, right. I'm with you there. <laughs> because what happened here? What happened here is we're putting people, we're throwing people under the bus for coal expediency. It is much easier to throw Clive and Bundy under the bus than to search for the truth and to stand for the truth. It's right. so much easier. And what has been the strategy of the Republican Party since Bob Dole is to do the easy thing as party leaders see what is easy, as they understand it. And what is the easy thing? To throw truth under the bus, to throw principles under the bus, and to throw anybody who stands up for those in the face of harsh, harsh uh, left media criticism under the bus in an attempt to appease a voting block they will never appease. Not this right. way. Not this way. And I'm sorry they are trying to trying to do it this way. It's not going to happen this way. And I know there's a lot that I just said that needs unpacking. So let me start with let me start with what let me start back with what Kleinov and Pundy had said. He had affirmed number one. He had affirmed that blacks 
now have more uh, advantages in terms of a government trying to address societal problems for them since the Watts riots. But that government subsidized living and the welfare state have actually stripped away more freedom and opportunity from the black community than they had. Possessions, I mean possessions, they had when blacks were slaves, were enslaved. Because now most people, because he was saying most people that are living heavily on government subsidy are unemployed, and they're unemployable because they lack skills, and they have no way of holding their family together because they no longer value family ties the way they used to. Right. There is no because the government is paying them not to have a man in the house, not to have father of children take care of them, wife and children. There is no there is very low marriage among the black community, low fidelity, high birth rate of those who do get born don't have uh, a central figure in the family, a central male figure in the family. And so we perpetuate right. generation after generation right now uh, a, an unemployment and, a, and um, a, a, an encouragement to have abortions because of desperate situation and high incarceration rates because young black males aren't taught that to have employable skills. And I'm not saying that they, there's no responsibility on the part of the, these victims, that they're, they're not responsible for anything that they do. I'm saying that the government has encouraged everything that it is complaining that is happening to uh, poor black youth and poor black families. It, the government is the cause of that. So here Clive and Bunny is trying to point that out. He goes on to say that Hispanics... Um, should be welcomed in this country uh, regardless of their legal status because they're already here. And the very key thing that he says about that is they're people. They're here and they're people. And we need to treat them accordingly because we can't, uh, he he doesn't suggest at all that we need to deport them he just says we need to deal with them with the fact that they're already here. That's fine. I dare any person on the left say any different and have it sound any more racist than that. <laughs> I mean, I think that right. is what, you know, this is the, this is the George W. Bush type of stance. This is the moderate point stance. This is the left point stance. This is everything except the conservative Tea Party, whatever you want, labels that you want to slap on him stance. So tell me that you know that's another thing that I wanted to know is how when did how and when did he become a spokesperson for the Tea Party in America? I have no idea. Yeah, that's the patient. Right, 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 right. And would you say would you say that's a problem with something going on, and then we'll we prop people up because personally, the man the man didn't say anything wrong, and when the when the um, video clips get done uploading, we're going to hear it in the the And, folks, I'm going to tell you now, you're going to hear the New York Times edited version 
and then we're going to let you hear the um, the unedited version, and you make you can make the for yourself. But Letitia, address the fact that how we as conservatives, it seems like we are searching so much for a folk hero, if you will, instead of turning to the Lord. That it's like we always end up propping people up, and then when people make a mistake, then we crush them like they're just an ant. Speak to that right. a little bit. Well, this is this is kind of the uh, double-faced nature of many conservatives, even that that are just they're just political. Uh, they're politically interested, but they don't have a very solid foundation in who they are themselves. We can all agree, you know, on a political level, if you, if you have polit- uh, conservative values, that's on a political level, that's, that's considered good enough. You know, if you want to vote for less government intrusion, uh, more local control, fewer taxes, more community involvement by local, uh, local people, local government, rather than the federal government, um, you pass, all right, just as long as you check the R uh, when you go to the voting booth, all right? You're considered one of us. You don't even have to sign a card. There is no Tea Party card. There is no conservative card. I mean, if you want to join a party, that's great. But as long as you embody certain... Um, certain principles when you go into the voting booth we want to give you the thumbs up and say hey that's a-okay however on a personal level we do have to think about what underlies those principles it's not just okay to say hey if you believe in small government you're fine with me because we because when situations like Clive and Bundy's uh, speech comes up and people turn it into something that it's not, we have to know whether or not people are in it for the politics or are they in it for the truth. And I'm not exactly. concerned with – I don't like to deal with simply with people on a politically, politically expedient basis. I don't right. care about political expediency unless I can also get truth. And the truth has been run roughshod over, and nobody's taking it seriously because uh, everybody's too busy trying to do the expedient thing. On a personal level, people have to know why they believe in smaller government and more local control and lower taxes and fewer uh, federal bureaucrats breathing down their neck. They have to know why, not that they don't like it. They have to know that... Our Constitution was built on this idea that the individual human person in America should have the most power to determine how their daily life is run. We don't honor, you know, this is not, we're coming for our Constitution was written on the, with the, with the understanding that we don't want to establish a divine right of kings here in America. And it very much has to do with a worldview that is fits that comes, I want to say this correctly, that is derived from a very humanitarian understanding of the Bible. And 
there is a, that strain of thinking that is summed up with you, um, you know, our founding fathers and Hamilton and John Locke and all those writers and thinkers back in the early days right. of our country, the establishment of our government, saying that the individual, right. the individual has to have more rights and more power to protect his rights then the government has to take them away. And this is a, you know, why? Why, do they, why should somebody believe that? Well, it does come from the Bible that says that we are all accountable to God and God alone. And that right. human beings are all, you know, in the eyes of God, we are all human uh, persons that have, one doesn't have any power over the other. We are all born you know, naked and without anything. Kings are born right. naked without anything. We're all born equal under the eyes of God. And so what they did is, what our founding fathers did was try to make everybody equal under the law. We don't have right. a, a we don't have a noble class where the power is concentrated among them so that nobody else has a say. Our government was organized so that any Tom, Dick, or Harry, if they have enough resources, they can be a a senator or a U.S. representative or a a mayor or a governor or even president of the United States. They left the door open to that. Now, practical practical issues get in in the way. Money does matter. (laughs) I'm not telling anybody that. Matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It really does. But they left the door open to everybody. Why? Because everybody is fundamentally, by our creator standards, equal. Right. Right. Well, let's and do unless this, you have a, Yeah, I was going to say, unless you have a conviction do. about that, you you're not going to see it in another person. Right. Let's let's. Uh, Let's play the clip. I want folks to be able to be able to hear it for themselves. Um, I'm going to first play the unedited version, which is a minute and 36 seconds. Then I'm going to play the entire unedited version of the tape. So hold on, and we'll be right back out to these clips, and we'll discuss and then we're going to get into racist comments that was made by Democrat, call a Republican until they found out he was a big Obama supporter. And I'll leave it at that. So. The Negro. I want to tell you one more thing I know about the Negro. When I, when I go, went, uh, go through Las Vegas, North Las Vegas, <clears throat> And I would see these little government houses. And in front of that government house, the, the door was usually open, and the, the, the older people and the kids, and there's always at least a half a dozen people sitting on the porch. They didn't have nothing to do. They didn't have nothing for their kids to do. They didn't have nothing for their young girls to do. And because they were basically on government subsidy, and so now what do they do? They abort their their young children. They put their young men in jail because they never they never learned how to pick cotton. 
And I've often wondered, oh, are they better off as slaves, picking cotton, having family life and doing things, or are they better off under government subsidy? They just transferred. Yeah, they didn't get no more freedom. They got less freedom. They had less uh, family uh, alive, and their happiness, you can see in their faces, they weren't happy sitting on that concrete sidewalk. Down there, they were probably growing their turnips. So that's all government. That's not freedom. That was edited New York Times version. Here is the entire clip in its entirety, and then we're going to address it. And so what I'm testifying to you, I was in the Watts riot. <coughs> I seen the beginning fire, and I seen that last fire. <coughs> what I seen is civil disturbance. People are not happy. People are thinking they don't have their freedoms, they don't have these things, and they didn't have them. We've progressed quite a bit from that day until now, and we sure don't want to go back. We sure don't want these colored people to have to go back to that point. We sure don't want these Mexican people to go back to that point. And we can make a difference right now by taking care of some of these bureaucracies and do it in a peaceful way. Let me tell, talk to you about the Mexicans. But these are just things I know about the, the, the Negroes. I want to tell you one more thing I know about the Negroes. When I when I go went uh, go through Las Vegas, North Las Vegas, <coughs> and I would see these little government houses, and in front of that government house, the the door was usually open, and the the, the older people and the kids, and there's always at least a half a dozen people sitting on the porch. They didn't have nothing to do. They didn't have nothing for their kids to do. They didn't have nothing for their young girls to do. And because they were basically on government subsidy, and so now what do they do? They abort their, their young children. They put their young men in jail because they never, they never learned how to pick cotton. And I've often wondered, oh, are they better off as slaves picking cotton, having family life and doing things? Or are they better off under government subsidy? They just transferred. Yeah, they didn't get no more freedom. They got less freedom. They had less uh, family uh, alive, and their happiness, you can see in their faces, they weren't happy sitting on that concrete sidewalk. Down there, they were probably growing their turnips. So that's all government. That's not freedom. Now let me talk about the Spanish people. You know, I understand that they come over here against our Constitution and cross our borders. But they're here, and they're people. And I've worked beside beside a, a lot of them. Don't tell me they don't work, and don't tell me they don't pay taxes. Mm -hmm. And don't tell me they don't have better family structures than most of us white people. When you see those Mexican families, they're together, they're picnic together, they're spending their time together, and I'll tell you, in my way of thinking, they're awful nice people. 
And we need to have those people join us and be with us, not 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 come to our party. Okay, uh, Leticia, what was racist about what he just said? You heard both the you heard both the clips, the edited and the unedited version. Tell me what was racist about what he just said. I I think. Uh, if I were to take it from the point of view of those that are politically expedient, I don't think that they can let go of the word picking cotton, the, the term picking cotton or uh, better off. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter what he said all around it. Just the fact that he said they didn't learn how to pick cotton is so outrageous that there is no context that could possibly ever explain what he meant by that. Um, I, I think from the context, we understand very clearly that he was making a metaphor. He wasn't saying that black people in general are or would be better off as slaves under slavery as we know it. He was making a comparison and analogy uh, unfortunately, I've had several conversations about this, and a lot of people remain unmoved by some simple contextual understanding of what he said. They're just unmoved. It's, it's sad. It's very sad that we can pigeonhole people like that, but it happens. So I didn't personally. I don't find what he said racist because he explained himself. He used a metaphor. Right. And, I, you know, I, I think we learned about metaphors in grade school when we were learning poetry, and I think I'm okay with that. I think I, I'm okay with him using a metaphor. I think he should have used a better metaphor. I think that because he used that one, it caused unnecessary, uh, caused this unnecessary uh, controversy where people are t- completely knee-jerk flipping out. But, you know, it is what it is. I think I, I listened to Kara Davis's response to this, and we've had Kara Davis on uh, True Life Friday's radio before, and I think you've had her on your show. She's an awesome commentator, and I think she was right on the money. Where right. we, if if we want to see, it's it's just a, this big, huge, hypocritical behavior, not to be understanding of Clive and Bunny when we want ourselves to be understood in context. You know, for some reason, small government has to be explained. Uh, lower taxes has to be explained. Wanting to have government stay out of, um, stay out of, of marriage in the sense of uh, not taxing married couples more than unmarried couples or you know, encouraging people to, to stay married by, by making sure that families uh, are economically left alone, really, left alone by the federal government, um, has to be explained. Somehow, by default, government intrusion is some kind of natural uh, flowing of the, of the river that we have to hold back and we have to explain why we're doing it. I don't know why we have that stance. Oh, I, I know partially why we have that stance in this country, but... For some reason, we always have the conservative viewpoint has to be explained all the time. I don't know why the scrutiny is there because the people on the left never have to explain themselves. Nobody has asked Donald Sterling to explain himself. Nope. 
And speaking of Donald Sterling, that's a great segue into our next clip because we have 21 minutes left. And, folks, you want to talk about races. And we may go over a little bit, so you'll probably catch it in the archives. But listen to Letitia, listen to this clip. That's all I I can say about this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. I wish I can change the skin, the color of my skin. That is the issue. You missed the issue. What's the issue? The issue is we don't have to broadcast. I'm not broadcasting anything. I don't do anything wrong. Nobody said you did anything wrong. I don't do anything wrong. If we ever have any issues, it's because people call you and tell you things about me that are not true. Why are you broadcasting? I'm not broadcasting anything. pictures with minorities. Why? What's wrong with minorities? What's wrong with black people? Nothing, nothing, nothing. What's wrong with these families? It's talking to an enemy. There's nothing wrong with minorities. They're fabulous. Fabulous. Because you're an enemy to me. Why? Because you don't understand. I don't understand what? Nothing. Nothing. That racism still is alive? No, but there's a culture. What culture? People steal certain things. Hispanics steal certain things towards blacks. Blacks steal certain things towards other groups. It's been that way historically, and it will always be that way. But it's not that way in my heart and in my mind. But maybe you want to adjust to the world. But why? The world doesn't do anything for me, and they don't make me happy. You're right. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to argue. I can't be racist in my heart. And that's good. I'm living in a culture, and I have to live within the culture. So that's the way it is. That's how I got it. I got the whole message. You live with your heart. I don't... You're, you're, you can't be flexible. You can I am flexible. I understand that that's the way you were raised and that's your culture and I'm respectful. And well, why, why do you have to disrespect them? Those are... Who am I disrespecting? The world before you. Why am I disrespecting them? What, by, by walking and you perceived as either a Latina or a white girl. Why should you be walking publicly with black people? Why? Is there a benefit to you? Is it a benefit to me? Does it matter if they're white or blue or yellow? I guess that you don't know that. Maybe you're stupid. Maybe you don't know what people think of you. It does matter, yeah. It matters. Do you know that I'm mixed? No, I don't know. You know that I'm mixed. You told me you were going to remove those. You said, yes, I understand you. I mean, you change from day to day. Wow. So painful. Wow. People call you and tell you that I have black people on my Instagram, and it bothers you. Yeah, it bothers me a lot that you want to broadcast that you're associating with black people. Do you have to? You associate with black people. I'm not you, and you're not me. You're supposed to be a delicate white or a delicate Latina girl. I'm a mixed girl. Okay. Well, but we and you're in love with me. And I'm black and Mexican, whether you like it or not, okay. whether the world accepts it or not. And you're asking me to remove 
something that's part of me and in my bloodstream because the world thinks different of me and you're afraid of what they're going to think because of your upbringing? You want me to have hate towards black people? I don't want you to have hate. That's what people do. They turn things around. I want you to love them privately in your whole life. Every day you could be with them. Every single day of your life. But they're not in public? But why publicize it on on the Instagram and and why bring it to my games? Why bring the black people to the games? I... I, I really don't want to discuss that anymore. It's over. I don't want to talk about it. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I, I feel that way so strongly, and it may even cause our relationship to just break apart. And if it does, it does. It's better to break apart now than to break apart later. I'm sorry that you still have people around you that are full of racism and hate in their hearts. I'm sorry that you're still racist in your heart. I'm sorry that you live in a world that's still... How about, the, how about your whole life? Every day. You could do whatever you want. You could sleep with them. You could bring them in. You could do whatever you want. The little I ask you is not to promote it on that and, and not to bring them to my games. I don't bring anyone to the game. Okay, then. There's nothing to argue about. I it. know. Okay, we've got a big problem here. I, I really don't feel like going anywhere. I don't feel like going to Europe. I don't feel like just going to the whole thing. If you didn't like someone that I was with, I would stop seeing that person. I'm sorry, I don't have any more friends. What would you like me to do? Remove the skin color out of my skin? Is that a, a real issue or are you making something up? I mean, I just don't understand what the issue is. There's nothing wrong with you or your skin color. Why are you saying these things? To upset me? Sweetie, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, too. We made a giant mistake, both of us. Everything you say to me is so painful. Do I want you to change the color of your skin? You know how to really hurt somebody. Instead of saying, I I understand. I don't understand how you can have so much hate towards minorities. I don't have any hate. I love them. I cannot understand. Why would you say that? How a person like you who's elevated, who's here, still feels above the world, and you can't even be seen with someone in which it's considered of a different skin color. They can be with me all day long and all night long. I can't believe that a man who's educated, a man who's a scholar, a man who's... Well, believe it and stop talking about it. Let's finish our discussion with a period, okay? You're not making any good points. You can't believe this man. That's all I am. I'm not a good person in your eyes. If I was a good person, you you wouldn't say, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. What am I saying? Which are all lies. I love this. Look at all this negativity coming from me. There's no negativity. I love everybody. I'm just saying, in your lousy Instagrams, you don't have to have yourself with walking with black people. You don't have to. If you want to, do it. If it's white people, it's okay?
If it was Larry Bird, would it have made a difference? You're just a big fighter. I could see who would want to live with a woman like you. Who would want to live with a woman? All you ever wanted to do was fight. You're a born fighter. I'm sorry that you're mad. You're in the worst mouth. Why are you so angry, honey? What's wrong? Well, why would you bring up Larry Bird? What has he got to do with it? You can walk all night long with your sisters or your family. I, I saw someone I admire. I admire Magic Johnson. Okay, good. I'm but, sorry. Okay. He's made a lot of changes for his community, for the world, for the people, for the minorities. He's helped a lot of people. Why are you forcing this down my throat? I'm finished talking to you. I have nothing more to say. And I took a picture with someone I admired. Good. And he happens to be black, and I'm sorry. I, I think it's nice that you admire him. I know him well, and he should be admired. And I'm just saying that it's too bad you can't admire him privately. And, and during your entire life, your whole life, admire him. Bring him here. Feed him. him. I don't care. You can do anything. But don't put him on an Instagram so the world has to see, so they have to call me. And don't bring him into my games, okay? I don't, I've never brought, I don't know him personally. Please leave me alone. Please, please. I'm sorry. Is there anything that I can do to make you feel better? No, you could never make me feel better. You're just a fighter and you want to fight. Leticia? <laughs> oh, you know what? Have at it. That's all I'll have at it. <laughs> well, there's, there's a point there about, about three minutes to the end, or maybe two minutes to the end, where I'm thinking, is this scripted? Is this a hoax? Are we being put on? Next week is uh, is the New York Times going to come out and say, hey, we, we made up the whole thing. Because um, that's how how overdramatic and soap opera-ish this sounds. <laughs> it sounds like a scene right out of a daytime soap opera. <laughs> you are absolutely right. I, okay, but, so so here's here's the thing. Um, I did not hear the full audio until right now. So what what caught my attention uh, is a, a couple of key things that he said. I mean, there was a lot there. There's a lot there. I mean, if we if anybody who wanted to complain about Clive and Bundy needs to hear this clip because I think <laughs> Clive and Bundy looks like thing. a five year old kid uh, compared to uh, what 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 Donald uh, Sterling just said. But one of the things that caught my attention, he said, now I, I believe him. I believe him when he says, I don't hate people of minorities. I don't hate people of color. Okay. You know, I tend to take people at their word when they say things like that. I don't want to say, oh, of course you do. Um, right. Because I don't like to use the word hate in this way. Uh, but I'll, let me explain that in a minute. First, we'll go back to what he said. He said, you honey, dear, sweetie, I'm so angry with you, and you, uh, you, ain't, and I uh, can't stand being in this conversation with you, but 
You can love your black people. Just love them privately. And I think that is very, very telling. I'm thinking that this conversation could have happened 170 years ago. It would have sounded exactly the same. Exactly. Uh, Mr. D- Mr. Sterling uh, is probably, you know, he comes from, he's, his, I'm not going to say what his uh, background is, but what his caricature looks to me like he could easily be one of these genteel, rich business owners. That's exactly what he is. Uh, dating right. a, dating a, having an affair, I should say, having an affair because he's married. Having an affair. Right. Having an affair with a young black woman and on the side, and he's perfectly fine with that. He loves that. I mean, he's good with that. Other people are good with that, but nobody says anything because there is this veneer of, of racial prejudice on the surface. It's a, it's a huge tension that I hear in his voice. I don't think he means that black people, especially he singled out black people, because it's okay, apparently, right. it's okay for his girlfriend to be Latino or Latina, partly Latina, uh, and he doesn't complain about that. Uh, so he, he doesn't think that black people are inferior. He just thinks that in public there should be a, a segregation, social segregation, between white people and black people, maybe other races too but at the very least, white people and black people. And he tells her that he, she can have a private life loving those black people, but she better not bring it out into the public because it somehow damages his reputation and his uh, business arrangements. This is no different than a conversation that would have happened, of, say, 170 years ago between a rich white man and his black woman on the side. Exactly. Um, So about the part that I I don't believe that he hates black people. I don't believe he hates black people because I look at the word hate, not in a, not in a way that uh, I think hate is a strong word and it should be used for personal uh, emotions of rejection, personal rejection. It is not hating a class. I don't know that people can hate a class. I think they can be prejudiced and biased against and think negative things. I don't think that negatively that, that negative feeling translates into hate. I wouldn't call it hate. I would call it other things. I would call it racist. I think you can be racist and not have a hateful bone in your body. Um but the way I would put it, but we use the word in racial terms, hate, very differently now. I, I don't like how it's been changed that way, but I guess I, we have to deal with it in those terms. I personally think that um, we use the word hate to, to mean uh, we, we strongly don't want to associate and think are inferior we use it that way rather than the way um, the Bible uses it, that, you know, that people hate each other as far as, as wanting the other person to essentially not exist anymore. 
I, I don't think that's the way people use it today. Um, but as far as uh, Donald Sterling is concerned, I mean, I think I was looking for the context, and I'm glad that clip was so long to really nail it down because I'm like, okay, um, I'm waiting to see if he redeems himself, and he really doesn't. He really doesn't. And that is a 180-degree difference between what he said and Clive and Bundy. Right. How did this man receive an award from the NAACP? I think he bought it. <laughs> they're, they're not giving it exactly. to him now. They're not he received it. He received one a few years ago, and this okay. would have been his second one. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, he was a he was a, a donor to Democrat campaigns, and uh, probably being owner of a basketball franchise helps in that regard. He did donate to the NAACP. I think he did. Um, but now, this, here's the controversy. Before we go, um, here's the controversy. Here's the Democrats backpedaling as fast as they can, saying that, oh, you know, these, these Republicans, how horrible they are trying to make Donald Sterling into a Democrat. <laughs> and holy cow, the record shows that he donated money. He didn't donate much because – People who are liberals don't tend to donate lots of money. <laughs> but he donated right. um, several thousand dollars to several Democrat candidates for office over the decades. And I think it amounted to about $6,000. And now the Democrat uh, liberal media is going, oh, you, you dumb Republicans. Nice try. Nice try, you. He didn't d- donate a whole lot of money, and he's a registered Republican. Well, was a registered Republican 25 years ago. And I don't see any record of his donations being made to Republicans. At any time that his record shows, anytime he's given money, he's given them to Democrat candidates or Democrat causes. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're desperate at this point to try to distance themselves from Donald Sterling, only they can't do it. (laughs) <laughs> That's what's so funny to me. That's what's so funny to me. And you know what's going to be interesting? I just post that entire link on my on my time on my wall, and I'm gonna see what the, what all the so-called conservatives who were calling Clive Bundy a racist are going to say about that. Because I'm gonna tell you something: if they if they don't say anything about that. About that clip, if they if they say something, well, that he's a liberal, so that doesn't matter. I'm I'm a blast them, and I'm gonna say to him, you're a hypocrite, because you you can't address it. You can't address it across the board. You only address it. Um, you only address it when you think your own when your own has done it. And I'm gonna tell and I'm gonna point something out to to him when you. Do it that way, that actually does make you racist because what it's saying is that you're so scared of being labeled a racist 
that you can't be consistent in your viewpoint. Does that yeah, make sense, Cortisha? Yeah, if fear drives you, the what you do, fear drives your political expediency instead of the truth. Uh, we got a problem. We do have a problem. Uh, I think what right. happened with uh, the whole conversation is that people who defended Clive and Bundy uh, became accused of being the problem in trying to establish good relations with minorities. <laughs> Uh, especially when 90% of the black vote is going to the Democrats. And so if we defend, the accusation is if we defend Clive and Bundy, we'll never make inroads into the minority community. And I'm saying, you know, I'm not really sure that is the problem because given what we know about Donald Sterling, I want to know how many votes the Democrat Party is going to lose from – the exactly. next elections because of what he said. You know what I think that number is? A big fat zero. Exactly. Exactly. And what that said what that says about those who are always crying racism from the liberal side is that they're not they're not consistent in their viewpoint. It's like we always say it. You have to be consistent in your viewpoint. If you're not consistent, then there is no way you have a foot or a leg to stand on. Because if you if you don't like racism when one side do it, you better not accept it when your side does it. And that's what liberals who are minorities, black, Hispanic, whoever, they do it. They allow they allow themselves to be called all kind of names from their quote, and I'm gonna say it, slave masters, because that's what the Democratic Party is. They're slave masters. I mean, how many stories have we heard about liberal Hollywood actors dropping the N word and it just being swept under the rug? You know, just as if it was nothing. But I'm telling you, enough is enough. Letitia, I appreciate um, you. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Um, you want to announce our big guest this Friday on Pro on True Life Fridays Radio? Who we got coming in? Sure. Well, as everybody knows, the trial of Kermit Gosnell is one of the least reported on big issue stories of the decade. In fact, the Huffington Post had made it a point not to cover it. That's how much they just just did not want to cover it. Well, um, since then, we have uh, some some film independent film ah, independent film producers. Get it out, Letitia. Uh, have decided to produce a film, a dramatization about the Gosnell situation and they are trying to raise money to film and produce it and to hire a director and all the whole nine yards and we are going to have one of the directors and mcgillany is going to be on true life fridays this friday to give us an interview and on bonus we are going to have sam sorbo wife of kevin sorbo 
on with us as well to talk about the film. It's going to be phenomenal. You do not want to miss it. All right. And tomorrow on Visible Conservatives, Christians Unleash, we are interviewing Michael and Krista Branch. Krista Branch is the is the young lady who recorded the song that became the Tea Party National Anthem, I Am America, and it was also Herman Cain's um, theme song. She got to um, travel with him to his campaign stops, and she also was a season seven contestant on American Idol. So tune in tomorrow, and then Wednesday we have Reality in Christ, Worship and Word. Thursdays we have Theology Matters with Devin and Melissa Palou. And Fridays you have True Life Fridays Radio with Letitia, Melissa, and myself. So tune in for exciting shows here on True Life Radio, True Radio Network, and I'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you.